morning, my uh, subject matter would be the responsibility of you as a congregation to your ministry. Now, it's one of those sermons that it's easier probably to preach it away from home than it is to preach it at home, although I did preach it at home one time. So um, they did hear it. You know, when I think about the responsibility of a congregation to their ministry, I think of a verse found in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Remember them that have the rule over you. Remember your ministry. Remember to pray for them, to encourage them, and so on. You know, the congregation has a responsibility just as well as the minister. You know, when you have a ordination, there's a charge that's given, you know, the uh, uh, scripture that would usually is given at a charge for a minister is preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And then to visit the sick and the fatherless and, and so on, you know, there's a portion of scripture there that's usually in the charge. And so there is a charge given to the minister, to the deacon, to the worker in the church. But brethren and sisters, there's also a charge given to each of you as part of the congregation of God's family. And that is to remember them that have rule over you. Remember them by praying for them. Too often you might say, we're behind you, we support you, and then you go your own way. You know, if you say you will pray for them, then pray for them. Remember them in your prayers. Put them on your prayer list. You know, I've had those folks over the years say, Randolph, if there's anything you ever need, and I was farming at the time, just let me know, and I'll be glad to come and help you. Now, that was the one person, and the other person was, they showed up on your doorstep, and they said, what can I do to help you? How many times do you think you, I got on the phone and said, hey, John, can you come help me today? No, nah, it didn't happen. But it was the time when you showed up and said, you know, I know that you're, uh, farming, is there something I can help you? I can run a tractor, I can do this, I can do that. Um, it's those kind of people that are a blessing to you. You know, brothers and sisters, we all have a little bit of pride in ourselves, and just to get on the phone and call someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to need an extra guy today, can you come help me? That won't happen. I can about guarantee you. And so when you think about it, when you talk about remembering them, remember to pray for them, Remember their ordination day. Send them a card. You know, you can send a text. It's not real personal. It's nice to have a card come in the mail with your name on it. Just a little card. And I, I like to tell our people, if you don't know what to write, just write big. It don't take much and the card fills up. <laughs> but you sent a card. Because I can take that card then and I can put it in my Bible and then I can get it out and I can read it and I can look at it. And, you know, it can be poor to me. You know, here's a little sticky note that someone had put in my, uh, that I have in my Bible. It just says, may God give you wisdom as you prepare your sermon. Thanks for all the hard work and dedication. I have good memories over the years with your family. God bless you and the guy's name. But he also had a big can of that half lemonade and half tea. And, you know, it was a big can. You know, something small. 
doesn't take much. But just to know that you're appreciated, just to know that someone is praying for you, just those little means sometimes mean quite a bit. You know, remember your ministers are just as human as you are. They have frustrations just like you do. They have needs just like you do. As you have food, clothing, and gas expenses, they do too. I noticed in your uh, bulletin you give a gift, a love gift to your ministers. I commend you for that. That is a blessing. It is a blessing to take care of their expenses like that. And I know that God has blessed you for it. But you know, brothers and sisters, it's very important that we do remember our ministers. You know, we are commanded to follow the faith of your ministers, knowing the end results, eternity with Jesus Christ. You know, Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And also, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know, that's quite a challenge for us as ministers to know that we are living examples of what others should follow. And, you know, it makes us want to walk closer to the word because of the greater accountability that we will have to give when we stand before the judgment seat. You know, it's really important that as ministers, we are examples so that you as a congregation can see what we should be, be doing. And, you know, our goal as a minister is to point you to Christ, the chief shepherd, and you follow his example as we are under shepherds. You know, it's important that as ministers, we don't have a double standard. I remember a long time ago, soon after I was ordained, we were at McDonald's, and there was this little junky car with some long-haired individuals in there. Looked pretty rough, but they had some car trouble, and I asked my wife, should I help them? And, you know, her comment was, um, you preach it, you better do it. And it was a blessing to help them, and they appreciated the help. You know, another responsibility as the congregation is to submit or, or obey your minister as he shares the concerns that he feels God has laid on his heart. You know, in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. As spiritual leaders, yes, we must give an account of our actions behind the pulpit, out of the pulpit, wherever we are. And we're going to give an account of our oversight to the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. You know, and if a minister can't give a good account for his life, it's going to be unprofitable to the congregation. But also the congregation, you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have a responsibility to obey and submit to the spiritual leadership in your church. And, you know, to keep from being deceived by false prophets and as they share uh, the warnings that we find in not only in Scripture, but as we can see happening in our world today. And, you know, when a congregation rebels against the minister or their leadership, it causes a lot of disruption and chaos, as you could see back in Moses' time when Korah, Byron, Dathan, and on rebelled against Moses' leadership. And they went and they told Moses who these folks were Levites. They were part of the high priest 
or the priests, you know, that was ministering in the uh, uh, in the temple there or in their tabernacle. But they came to Moses and they said, you take too much responsibility. You think you're the only holy one. And they challenged Moses. And, you know, God was ready to wipe out the Israelites when Moses went to him. And he fell on his face before God. And he said, you know, I haven't taken anything that was unjustly from them. And, you know, he pled with God. And Moses told the people to separate themselves from Korah, Byram, Dathan, and on. And he said, if some strange thing will not happen, and the earth opened up and swallowed them alive into the pit, them, their children, their little ones, everyone, everything, the tents, something strange, something that had never happened before and never happened after. But then there was also 250 other rebellious ones who died by fire, and later 14,700 died of a plague because of rebellion against the religious leaders. You know, brothers and sisters, when I think about troubles in the church, and you know, as you look across the nation today and you see a lot of different churches, you see where there's unrest and turmoil in church. And you know, that's where Satan has his heyday. He likes nothing better than to cause turmoil and strife within a congregation. And you know, it's very important that we work together in love and unity and brotherly love and and as you as congregation, you support your ministers, you pray for them, you encourage them. Are they going to make mistakes? Of course they will. They're human, just like you are. And so when you think about a congregation's responsibility to the minister, it's to remember them, it's to submit and obey to them. But it's also to honor and respect and esteem highly your minister. We read in First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, and it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourself. You know, you as well as your ministry need to hear words of encouragement, need to hear, you know, press on, keep, keep preaching, we're behind you, we're praying for you. And especially as you know, if they're going through some hard times, you know, the scripture would bring out the fact, um, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the, in the word and doctrine. You know, there are times when a minister might fail or does fail. Do we have roast preacher for lunch and for dinner and then we have roast preacher through the week? You know, it's, it's a situation you can escalate or it's a situation you can slow down and remember to pray for them and lift them up in prayer. You know, it's really important that we are there to build one another up, not to tear one another down. You know, another responsibility the congregation has for the minister is a financial support. And we talked about that just briefly before I started. But we read in 1 Timothy 5, it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially them who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of the reward. If you flip in your Bibles over to the 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we can see a portion of scripture building to this as well. And I'd just like to read it. 
As Paul says in verse 1, Am not I an apostle? Am not I free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not, are, are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this, Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister and a wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charge? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth not God take care for oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt that it, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in the hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your if we shall reap your carnal things. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live with the things of the temple, and they that which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than, than any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but against my will, the dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. You know, Paul is saying some blunt questions to the church. He is saying, do we not have a right to be married or to eat or drink or be supported by the church like other disciples? And you know, four things I believe are clear here. Paul, uh, Barnabas adopted Paul's method of supporting himself. Paul was known as a tent maker, and so he supported himself while he was working and while he was preaching, which I believe is a good way that we have done over the years as well. I see you get a partial support to your ministry. They also have another job. And you have a plural ministry, which I believe can be a blessing to the church. It not only gives you different gifts, but it also gives you uh, an ability that your brethren can um, also preach and also work and take care of some of their needs as well. But then we see the apostles in general were supported by the church, not by secular labor. Paul and Barnabas had a trade by which they could support themselves, and they chose to support themselves in certain places so as not to hinder the uh, founding of the church. And so it's very important that we recognize our ministers are also busy in the church. They're also busy in the working in the congregation and then they have to supply for themselves. I found it interesting one time over the years this letter was written by one of our conservative ministers in our area and he wrote this letter to his congregation and it wasn't in our in, in our church but I'd like to just share a little bit about it because he was concerned and he was uh, feeling the 
uh, edge of burnout. And burnout among ministers does happen, and it happens because of stress that's within their lives, and it's also because of the burden of the church, and then also the burden of taking care of their families and so on. But the letter he wrote goes like this. Being in the pastoral ministry requires a good deal of time to be effective. There needs to be time first for personal development and spiritual maturity. There needs to be a time to build a healthy relationship with his wife and children. There needs to be time for sermon preparation and committee meetings, counseling candidates for baptism, church membership, and marriage. There are funerals, anointings, and sick to attend to. There are the elderly, the widows, the erring, and the infants that need to be visited. Time must be allowed for reading, research, seminars, evaluation, and filing of materials. There, there's a constant flow of mail to be sorted, questionnaires to be answered, and correspondence to be returned. It's expected that the pastor be present in all church services, activities, and work projects. Nothing's been said about the amount of time required for just planning and organizing and delegating the program of the church. Of course, there's outside activities which take time, such as assisting other congregations, serving on conference and community, uh, community committees and revival meetings and so on. Please understand in our tradition, the pastors are expected to do all the above and still carry on a full-time job and support their families. And, you know, as I think back through my years in ministry, there were times when it was easier. There was times when it was really hard. And, you know, I think about how our church, yes, they did support me financially some. It was a blessing. I remember, and, you know, a lot of you can sympathize or not sympathize, can think about it as it was in your lives when you were raising the family and you paid the bills and then there was a little bit left in the checkbook, and at least you thank the Lord there was a little bit left. And, um, you know, it just was stressful at times, very much so. I thank the Lord for our ministry team we have at Pleasant Grove. I really feel blessed to work with such a good bunch of brethren because uh, it makes the load a lot lighter. I'm here today. Jonathan Zimmerman is in Lamb of God preaching the other three brethren are taking care of things at home. And it's nice to share ourselves with others because we have the ability to do so without hurting our home congregation. You know, I believe it's great that you can have a plural ministry, but I believe it's so important that we take care of our ministers and their families. It's very important because if you want to have a healthy church and a growing church, you want to take care of your leaders. And so I believe the Bible gives clear guidelines that we need to support your ministers, not only financially, but with prayers and encouragement and so on. And you know, last I mentioned, but very important, I believe it's very important that you not only pray for your minister, you lift him up, and you know, usually in October you have a pastor's appreciation, but you remember the minister's wife. She's the one behind the scenes, she's the one that sometimes keeps their, the pastor, the minister's head on straight. You know, the pastors are expected to be a good example as a spiritual leader and as a husband and a father and a good provider for his family. His wife is to be a model wife and a mother and active in all the church functions, or most of them. 
And you know, the children are expected to be well-behaved and a good example to other children. And you should not be surprised if your pastor will burn out and his family feels they are at a disadvantage because of the stress that goes on in one's life. Ministers and their wives are just as common as you are, and Satan is there to trip them up and cause a lot of discouragement. So what can you do? Well, just so much you can do. Again, send a card, call them, be there, go visit them, and lift them up when they're discouraged. Try to be discerning. Encourage your minister, but also encourage your minister's wife. You know, she has to be there. The pastor's wife, John McGee wrote, is expected to know all the answers, expected to be flexible with her schedule, expected to live her life on display, expected to fill in the gaps, expected to bear the emotional load, often uh, listening ear for her husband, and the role of chief encourager and burden bearer. You know, as I go through life, I like to look for different things that can, you know, help a sermon, a poem, or whatever. And I come across this uh, poem about the pastor's wife. I'd like to read it to you. It says, she's a godly woman. She has such grace. Always a warm greeting, a smile on her face. She's always encouraging. She knows her place. She's a pastor's wife. She always, she has to always look just right. Always on time, though the schedule's tight. From early morning till late at night, always the pastor's wife. She's such a lady, everyone's friend. She serves with love from deep within. All of the rifts, she tries to mend. Oh, she's the pastor's wife. She carries your burdens. She prays for you. Sometimes she cries the whole night through. But you won't know when she's feeling blue because she's the pastor's wife. At church, as she starts to walk up the aisle, so may, many need to stop and talk for a while. Though she is tired, she has her own trials. She's patient. She's a pastor's wife. Her life, her time is not her own. There's always a need. They go on and on. With a knock on the door or a ringing phone, that's the life of the pastor's wife. Her husband, she shares with the whole congregation. She humbly accepts his intense dedication. In lowliness, she kneels to seek consolation. God bless the pastor's wife. She will someday reach the end of her race as she meets her master face to face. Surely our God has a special place in heaven for the pastor's wife. And so, brothers and sisters, as you think about how can I or how can you support and encourage your, your minister, again, pray for him. Pray for his family. Pray for your ministers, your deacons. Pray that God will protect them and build a hedge around them. Keep them safe from the enemy. Remember to pray for them when they go through their, their trials in life. It might be injury. It might be death in a family. But they need your prayers. Also bless the pastor's family, the minister, the deacon, who, who you have in your ministry team. Pastoral stress leaks in the families, and it's enough to test all the family bonds. Bless them in a special way. Little things, big things. Talk with your pastor, your minister. Don't talk against them. 
Don't talk about them, but talk with them. And you know, that's what builds them up. That's what encourages them. Complaining about your minister to someone else is corrosive for the church family. It tears apart a church. It doesn't bring unity. It brings a disunity and unrest in the congregation. You know, writing anonymous critical notes are an act of spiritual terrorism. We don't need that in the church. That's Satan's tools. No, if you have something to share with your minister, go to him. Or if you want to write a letter, sign your name. Affirm them publicly. Challenge them privately if you need to challenge them. But I encourage you to be careful. Forgive your pastor for falling short of his expectations. No minister is perfect. And you know, you might have an ideal of a perfect minister or deacon, but you maybe, maybe should look in the mirror and make sure you are following those guidelines as well. Because um, there's nobody perfect but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, your minister will make some mistakes. All pastors do. Extend to your minister the same grace that God's extends to you. Remember to feed yourself spiritually. You know, any amount of reading you might do as you listen to great sermons your pastor preaches, it should inspire you to get into the word as well because if you will go just on Sunday and hear the word, that's not enough. We need more food than that. You know, someone said going seven days without eating makes one week. It makes us weak and physically, but it also makes a week and seven days. So you hear it on Sunday, you don't add any more. How do you expect to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? You can't. That's why we encourage your personal devotions. And you know, that's why Paul told Timothy, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting might appear to all. Meditate upon the word of God. Chew it, absorb it, live it, you know, sing about it. And so feed yourselves. That's so important in the life of the church. Your ministry can give you spiritual food on Sunday, maybe perhaps on Wednesday. But you need to feed yourselves as well. But also bond with a small group. Be accountable one to another. It might be several brethren, several sisters. Accountability. You know, that can help your, your ministry because you have someone to keep you accountable, to keep you on fire so that you can be a blessing to someone else. And so also, as you think about that support group, you're plugged into it. You pray for one another. You care for one another. You support one another. Brothers and sisters, that's church. That's how we function. Lift one another up. Lift your ministry up in prayer. And then follow your leader. You know, the pastor, your minister, is not the CEO of the congregation. That CEO is reserved for Jesus. You know, your minister has been given the gift of an apostle, and you should take your cue and follow after Christ as you listen to your pastor and your minister. And yes, follow his example as he follows Christ and so on. It's so important that we submit to our, the leadership over us as we are united together as a congregation, 
as we are pressing on toward the mark for the prize. That's what we're here for. We're here as a, a unit, as a body of believers to lift one another up, to pray for your leaders as we press on toward the mark and we let our light shine for Jesus that others might see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. You know, that's why we need to be united as a congregation. Lift your leadership up in prayer. Support them, forgive them, and, you know, affirm them and so on. And then lastly, exercise your spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. God has blessed every one of you with a gift. Are we using it for the glory of God? You know, I'd like to just close with this little story. Back in the days of the stagecoach, a man wanted to take a trip. And he looked at the sign and it said, first class passengers will use a figure of $100. Second, pla second class passengers, $75. And third class passengers, 25 bucks. And the guy said, what's the difference in the seats? Well, he said, you can look, there's a stagecoach. So he opens the door, and they're all the same. And he was a good man tonight. He said, I'm going to save money, 25 bucks. So that's what he did. And he was really congratulating himself on his thriftiness. And so they came to this long, steep hill, and the stagecoach stopped, and the driver hollered, first class passengers, keep your seats. Second class, get out and walk. Third class, get out and push. Now, the point is this. God wants third-class passengers in every stagecoach. He wants us all to get out and get our shoulders into the harness and help push a stagecoach up the hill. Because, you know, there are those in the church that just love to sit and make, let everything happen. There are those in the church that they're just walking along behind. But there are those in the church that are so busy working helping others. And you know, you might say, well, I'm old, I can't do too much. But you can. You can be a prayer warrior for the church, for the Lord. You can lift people up in prayer. There's always a way to encourage people. You know, some of the biggest blessings I got in visiting older people is I think I came away more blessed than what they were. Because you could hear what happened way back when. You know, I, I like your church because you still have the amen corners. And um, I visited Dewey Miller one time, and he said uh, when they built the church, they had the amen corners, and they came to him, and they said, Dewey, you're our oldest member. This is your seat. He said, how old do you think I was? Well, I said, I don't know. He said, I was 45. <laughs> and I had to think, man, if we had everybody 45 and older, there wouldn't be no many people out there. They'd be up here. And the funny thing was, nobody wanted to sit up here anymore. But, you know, it's just interesting. You learn so much when you visit with older people and hear and visit together. And they were an encouragement to me in my ministry. And so, brothers and sisters, as I think about responsibilities of the congregation, we all have a responsibility in the ordination of your brother this afternoon. Yes, a brother and his wife will be chosen for the office of deacon to minister to the needs here at Salem, part of the ministry team. But we, as a congregation, have a 
responsibility to pray, to affirm them, to bless them, to talk with them, forgive when they fall. And then we have a responsibility to feed ourselves and, and bond with each other and, and lift our ministry up in prayer and use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God, working together for his glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the many blessings of life. And thank you, Father, for the congregation here at Salem. From the oldest to the youngest, Father, we lift them to you and we pray a special blessing over them. Lord, we just pray that they would continue to bless and pray for and encourage their ministry. Father, we just pray that you would grant them much grace, much wisdom. Bless, Father, the brother who's chosen this, this afternoon. And bless the ministry team, Father, as they labor together and promote the kingdom of God. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to bless the Salem Mennonite Church. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your blessings. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.